This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Try to say as much as we can Torah-wise to try to make sure that this, there, that, uh, this is something exciting for everybody. But I do want to mention that we, um, this is also going to be for Rafu Shlema, for one of the members of our shul and uh, for somebody that's going to be there. This is for David Ray. So the name is fully David. Help me out with Yale. It's David Elimelech Ben Rachel Leva. Right. So let's have him in mind. But let's, let's really make this happen. So the first thing. First of all, there's nothing that you know about the Megillah that actually makes sense. Because if you really think about the whole thing, we started from the beginning up to the very end. There's so many things that just sit there and you're like, what? how could this possibly be? For example, we have three people that are Mochul Bekipa. Three people that ruled over the entire world. The Gemara goes through them and one of them is Achashverosh. And the Gemara then asks and says, what about Shlomo Melech? Shlomo Melech also ruled over the entire world. And the Gemara answers and says, no, Shlomo Melech was different. He was Melech Alal Yonim, Velatachtonim. He was the king over everything. I mean, not just the king over people. He was also king over Malachim. He was in charge of the Shadim. He was in charge of everything. So you have somebody who is in charge of absolutely everything in the world that's totally different from Achashverosh, who is just the king over the world itself. That's number one. First of all, we have to understand that Gemara. What does that mean, Elyonim and Tachtonim? Number two. I don't understand. There are 127 Medinos in the world? There aren't. There are 252 Medinos in the world, not 127. We say that Achashverosh, right, was in charge of 127 Medinos. Something's wrong. There's something wrong. There should be 252. Where are the other nations that were not counted in this number over here when we say 127, not 252? In order to answer this question, there is an awesome answer. Awesome, awesome answer from the Chassam Sofer. Anybody who thinks that Christopher Columbus was the first person who, who found that the world is round is just a fool. No, Christopher Columbus was a massive idiot who had absolutely no idea how mathematics worked. Everybody knew that the world was round. There's a Gemara. It's an Avodah Mem If you see a statue with a ball in his hand, then you know that that's referring to the world. Because a ball is referring to the world. Even the Gemara on Mem Aleph and Aleph knew that. We have a Medrash Rabbah that says when there are people on this side of the world that are, that are, that are with light, there are people on the other side of the world that have it dark because the, everybody knew that the world was round. Here was the issue. No one thought, and they were right about this, that you could get from Europe to India, Europe to India with one boat trip. They thought that if you tried it, you were going to die. Christopher Columbus was the only fool who miscalculated so badly that he thought that you could get from one side to the other without any issues whatsoever. He was wrong. He found the American Indians, but he didn't find the actual Indians, and he was messed up in thinking that he could get from one place to the other. Here's the shot. Every other person thought, and it was true, that the world was round. But here's the idea. Gimbal Shemal Chubakipa. There were three people that were ruling over a kipa, meaning... They ruled over this part of the world. But there was one other person who ruled over everything. Shlomo Melech was Melech Alahel Yonim, the world on top, Valatach Tonim, and the world below. He was the one who served, he was the, one, the first person to realize that there was a world on top and below that you could find something on the bottom. He was the person that figured out nobody else knew it. And that's what it means by Gimel Shemolcho Bekipa and why the Gemara says that he was completely different. That's the first thing about Shlomo Melech. Second thing that we want to go through over here. I, I, it seems so strange that Achashverosh wanted Vashti killed. Does anybody understand that? Why would you want Vashti killed? You know what your plan is. Your plan is to kill the Jews. Vashti hates the Jews. How do we know that Vashti hated the Jews? She made sure that every Shabbos, the woman would be working for her. She stripped them of their clothing and made sure that they would work for her on Shabbos. Now, what's shot that Haman thought that Vashti was the way that, to get around? If he would have left Vashti in place, everything would have been fine, right? Okay, there's an, there's an, there's an Avodah Zara. I don't, does anybody know Greek mythology? Does anybody know anything about it? 
Like, do you know Saturn at all? Saturn, I think, is Roman mythology. But does anybody know anything about this, what Saturn represents and what Saturn stands for? Okay. So a little bit of, that little bit of stuff going through. Saturn, every single one of the planets is based on a certain day of the week. For example, Sunday is the day of the sun. Monday is the day of the moon, right? Thursday, Thursday, that's referring to Jupiter. And I forget the others and I don't really care. Saturday is Saturn. The reason why is because there are only five planets that you can see with your naked eye when you look up at the, when you look up at the skies. You can see Mercury, you can see Venus, you can see Mars, you can see Jap- Jupiter, and you can see Saturn. But the other three planets, you can't see. I know, it's a dwarf planet. And then you, can't see, you can see the sun and you can see the moon. Those are the seven that you're able to see just by looking up at the sky. Each one represents a certain day of the week, and each one rules, so to speak, on that day, based on the Gemara and Shabbos, Nadab, Kupnun, Dal, and Ralph. Saturday is the day of Saturn. That's when everything happened regarding Saturn, and that's the whole day of Saturn itself. Saturnalia was a Chag that they used to celebrate based on the mazel of Saturn, the god of Saturn, and everything that happened through. How do you worship the god of Saturn? So here's what you do. On the day of Saturday, you are supposed to work hard, wear black clothing, and make sure not to eat or drink the entire way through. So what did Vashti do? Vashti worshipped Saturnalia. She worshipped Saturn as her god. And because of that, she made the Jews worship it with her. She wore all black. The Jews were wearing colorful clothing. It's not like today, where all women wear black. It's the exact opposite. Women wore colorful clothing on Shabbos. It's probably the men also wore colorful clothing on Shabbos. And everybody wore that. And she made sure that they wouldn't wear it on Shabbos. When it says that she made them work naked, it's not that they were naked. They were wearing black clothing and only black clothing. And then she made them work on Saturday. And Haman looked at this and said, she wants them to survive. She wants them to be with me. She wants them to work for Saturn, as if they're worshipping the star of Saturn, and everything's going through the way they had their Zara, that's what they thought. So they thought, Haman thought, that Vashti was Mamish on the Jews' side, trying to make them survive. So he wanted Vashti gone, in order to make sure that his daughters would be put up there instead. There is a crazy medrash. Why didn't Haman's daughters get chosen instead of Esther? Kaddish Baruch wanted Esther, but the Gemara says that Vashti's, that Haman's daughters are the most beautiful people in the land. It's not such a shocker. I know we all think of Haman as being this uh, Jafar from Aladdin, you know, with like that black little, like little tiny little beard, really ugly face, and like little whatever it is. Haman is a mullik. A mullik is blonde hair, blue eyes. Where's Wyman? Right there. Look at that guy right over there. He looks exactly like that. This is a mullik. A little bit, a little bit better looking. I don't know how that's possible, but a little bit better looking. But we're talking. That's not shade. No, no, no. I mean it. Haman looked exactly like a blonde hair, blue eyes. In fact, we have a Gemara in Megillah that says that Germania, according to the Yavitz, the Yavitz says that Germania, which is France, Germany, is the area that's known as Ashkenazim, what we call Ashkenazim. That area was a mullik. This is way before, obviously, World War II and the Holocaust, before Hitler and Gamma came up. He said that that was a mullik, and it makes sense. Asav was a fair-haired, a red-haired guy. That's what it was supposed to be, and a mullik was blonde. A mullik was completely different. So therefore, Haman was a good-looking dude. We're going to see. Haman had 208 kids. He had 208 kids because no one in that area saw a guy like him. It wasn't Zeresh that had 208 kids. Zeresh only had 10, and then possibly an 11th. She might have been pregnant at the very end. But that's it. All the other kids of Haman came from somewhere else entirely because he was a good-looking dude going around. So get that Jafar thing out of your head. He doesn't look that way. That's not what he is. He was a really good-looking person. If that's so, 
If that's so, then we finally understand what he was trying to do and trying to get rid. He had these beautiful daughters, beautiful daughters, and he wanted to put them in charge. But remember what happened to Vashti the day that Ahasuerush wanted to take her in? She either grew a tail or she got saras all over her body or she became extreme, whatever, something happened to her. So each one of the daughters of Haman, according to this medrash, were passing gas horribly the day that they were chosen to go to Ahasuerus. And they couldn't stop. Their flatulence was crazy. And every time they tried going inside, hey guy, the guy that was with, kept stopping them and saying, well, you can't go in. You smell too much. Give it, give it a second. And then as soon as we go in, it happened again. And it kept going worse and worse and worse. And they couldn't stop. This is a medrash. This is not like, I, I wish I could make this up. But it's unbelievable. They couldn't stop. They were just, they had that issue. And therefore, they never made it in. And that's why Esther came inside. Now, again, I know that we think also of Esther because we've seen these like little pictures that we make when we were in third grade. And we remember of Esther that. The Gemara says that Esther was Yorak Rokasi. She definitely was beautiful, beautiful, but she had a greenish tinge to her. A greenish tinge, which actually did not allow anyone to understand what nation she was from. She looked a little bit Asian, a little bit African, and a little bit American all at once, put everything together. I guess American can take all of that together, right? And that's what she looked like, and nobody could figure out what she was. And not only that, Esther was 74 years old. The Midrash Rabbah says she was the gematria of Hadassah which is 74. She was 74 years old when she was chosen. 74 years old. We're not talking about a, a, a beautiful young maiden who's 12 years old who's coming into the palace. There was a hut chesed that made everyone love Esther when they first saw her, but that's that. But it's more, it's more to it than just that. Esther never wanted to be with Ahasuerus, so she made sure that she was never with Ahasuerus. According to the Tami Minhagim, brings it down from the Chassam Sofer and a few other places, there were, there were amazing things that you can create shadim, demons, to take your place, to allow to be something like you. You can even create demons that look like you. Now, here's the deal. Female demons are bald. All of them are bald. Male demons have hair. So this is a very, very important point. When you see demons, you can tell the difference whether they're masculine or fem- feminine by their hair, by looking on. If they're wearing shaitals, that means they're feminine. If they're not, then it's masculine. We got it? That's the only way to tell the difference, so... If you see a person with a shaitel, <laughs> could, could very well be a shaita, and you should probably kill her. But if you don't, right, this is it. Esther, Esther created a shaita to take her place. And every time Akashverosh looked for somebody, they found this shaita to take her place. It's an unbelievable message. It's from Perak Tess when it says, And when she came to the king, there's a Gemarni Vamas that says, the difference between a human being and a shade is when you shine a light on them or two lights on them, a human being only has one shade, S-H-A-D-E, that comes from them. Right, A human being has one, and then another that comes from the other. So we can have a double shadow that goes one on top of the other, and you can have two shadows there. A demon only has one shadow. The way the Gemara says it is, a human being has a bavoha. A, sh- a bavoha de bavoha. I'm sorry, a human being has a bavoha de bavoha, the double shadow. A shade only has bavoha, a shadow. So when it says, u bavoha elamelech, they say, this is from the time in Hagen, only one shade, one shadow came in front. That means it wasn't Esther. It was always a demon. The demon's name was Moch. 
There's a Tosvos that says, how in the world could Esther, well, the Gemara says, how could Esther be with Achashverosh and then be together with her husband Mordechai? How is that possible? You don't know who the kid is. How would you know what the kid is? That's why we separate three months whenever something happens to a woman's husband. Three months is the furthest you can wait because you got to know who the kid belongs to. The answer is, and the concept is, is that she never used herself. She went with a moch. What's moch? Moch is, they say that it's birth control, etc., Moch is the name of the shader that she used. Now, she was not the first person to use this. Yosef Atzadik did this as well. When Yosef Atzadik was being caught by Zleika, Zleika is Aishas Potifar, that's her real name. When Aishas Potifar was trying to grab Yosef Atzadik, Yosef Atzadik did the exact same thing. He took a shade that looked exactly like him, a, a demon that looked exactly like him, and kept sending it to Aishas Potifar, to Zleika. But she was never, she was a witch. She understood the difference between these types of things and Yosef. And therefore, she grabbed onto his clothing, is how we translate it. It's not clothing. She grabbed onto his betrayal. Everything that he was doing, the terrible things that he was doing, she grabbed onto his betrayal and says, I don't want your demon. I want you. That was the difference. Achashverosh never figured it out. And technically, she was completely mutter to Mordechai the entire time until she decided to come on her own. Once she went on her own to Achashverosh, that's when everything was different. And that's say, Kashir Avadati Avadati. What do you mean, Kashir Avadati Avadati? You've already been with Achashverosh before. But no, this point, I'm doing it on my own. It's no longer the shade of the demon that's coming instead. Now, I'm going to tell you a question. This was asked by Reb Nissen Kaplan of the Mir Yeshiva. It's possibly the greatest kasha in the world. I haven't heard a kasha like this in a long, long time. And it's an actual halachic shayla that comes through. You've got to stay with me, though, okay? I'm going to use A, B, and C, okay? That's what I'm going to do over here. A, B, and C. Okay, now here we go. Now, this is going to be hard. A is about to forcibly take a girl for himself. A is about to do such a thing. B wants to kill A in order to stop him from doing what he's doing to the girl. The girl then tells A about B, okay? A kills B and then takes the girl forcibly. Is that girl mutter to her husband? Okay, ready? I'll do it one more time because it gets a little hard, okay? Here we go, okay? Hold on, hold on, ready? A is about to forcibly take a girl, okay? B wants to kill A to stop A from doing that to the girl. The girl then says to A, B wants to kill you. And then A kills B, takes the girl forcibly. Is that girl now a mutter to her husband? Is that considered Something that where she, so to speak, she wasn't being taken forcibly or not. Yes. Is it halachically permissible for for B to kill? To kill? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But B did it. B was going to do it anyway. Can it happen? The normal answer is no. She's not going to be mother to her husband, right? This is the perm story. A is Achashverosh. B is big son Viserash. Achashverosh is forcibly taking Esther, who's a married girl. She's married to Mordechai. Big son and Seresh wanted to kill Achashverosh, and that would essentially stop him from being together with the girl, with Esther, right? Esther finds out from Mordechai what Big son and Seresh are trying to do and tells Achashverosh that Big son and Seresh are trying to kill you. 
Achishverosh figures out the plot, kills Big Son and Seresh, and then what happens? Achishverosh continues to forcibly take Esther. Esther is still mutter to Mordechai until Kshavarati Avarati. I'm sorry? He doesn't know that it's forcibly. Who doesn't know? Achashverosh doesn't know? He knows that it's forcibly. Karka Olam. So meaning she's he not... thinks that she came from the world. Oh, no, no, it's okay. All right, in a, in a on Esther's point of view, Esther is a married woman. Is she now mutter to go back to Mordechai or did she cause herself to now be, have that happen to her? Is that what happened? Yeah. Why are two kids separate? Because... Not, yes, so I'm going with the one that they're married. Yeah. So there's Rodaf involved. That's really the issue over here. I'll just tell you, halachically speaking, we paskin from Megillah Esther that such a case, she's still muttered to her husband. That that's still considered forcibly raped. That's not considered consensual, even though she caused it to happen to herself. That is still considered an onus. Crazy, right? I'm sorry. She did. According to the Gemara, she was with him whenever she wanted to be. Meaning, there was still a harem, so she was able. So it could happen, yes. Yeah, so it could happen. So everything could happen that way. Okay, so that's that. So just consider that for a moment, that that's the halakha that we learn from over here. Perik Dalid, Pasig, oh, you know what? I'll go with this first. Perik Gimel, Pasig Yedalid. Let's go with Perik Gimel, Pasig Yedalid. If you've never heard this before, then I'm sorry about your life, because this life is not, you got to, you got to, you, now you're going to really live. This is going to completely change everything. So Perik Gimel, wait, did I say Perik Gimel? I didn't mean it that way. Did I? Perigimel Pasig Dalit. That's where it is. Okay, Perigimel Pasig Dalit. We all know everybody's supposed to bow down to Haman, right? Everybody in the world is supposed to bow down to Haman. He, Ka'amrami love, yom yom, yom yom. when they told it to him every single day, this is Mordechai, they said, why aren't you bowing down to Haman? You should be bowing down to Haman. Why aren't you bowing down to Haman? He refused to listen to them. And they told over to Haman, Liros Ayamdu Mordechai, to see if the words of Mordechai would stand. Because he had told them that he was Jewish. Mordechai's Jewish, I can't bow down to such a person. He told them that, and that's the reason why. So I don't understand. They told him Mordechai's Jewish, like he didn't realize that Mordechai was Jewish. The Jews looked completely different from every other person in the world. Obviously, he knew he was Jewish. Why in the world are they saying, oh, better tell him he's a Jew? Um, Haman, did you know he was Jewish? Did you realize that? You should have realized he was Jewish. It's totally different. There was a war that was going on in India, and Mordechai and Haman were on two different sides. Mordechai was on one side, Haman was on the other side. They were sieging the city. Haman thought that the siege was going to be over really, really quickly. Mordechai knew that it wasn't going to take that long. So Mordechai had set up all of his rations and made sure that the rations for his legion and everything was around him was going to take a little bit, and he kept it for a long, long time. He made sure that everybody had just what they needed, and that's that. Haman on the other side was partying with all of his men, thinking it was going to be over really, really soon, and ran out of rations. When they ran out of rations, he didn't know what to do. If he goes back to Achashverosh and asks, for more, he knows he's going to get in trouble. So instead he went to Mordechai and he said to Mordechai, Mordechai, can I have some of your rations? Because if I don't have any rations, I'm going to get in trouble. The king's going to kill me. Mordechai said, not a problem. I will 100% give you rations if you sell yourself to me as a slave. Sell yourself to me as a slave and I will 100% get rations. So Haman said, I have no choice. I'll sell you, my, I'll sell you myself as a slave to you. I 100% will be a slave. We all know that, right? Haman was a slave to Mordechai. What you might not have realized though, is that Haman now is an Evid Kenani. You know what the status of an Evakanani is? Evakanani, there's two things that they got to do. Number one, he's got to get a bris milah. And number two, he's got to go to the mikvah. Mordechai, on the spot, Baruch Hashem used a mole, or he had a mole around. He gave him a bris milah on the spot, and then put him in the mikvah, and told him he's chayev in mitzvos, as any other Evid would be. 
You're now Chayv Mitzvah like an Eved. Haman was a Jew. Haman was a Jew. So Mordechai said that to them when they went up to Mordechai and said, why aren't you bowing down to Haman? He said, because he's Jewish. He's my slave. He's a Jew. I'm not bowing down to another Jew. Look at the Pasuk again. They told Haman, they wanted to see if the words of Mordechai were true. Because he told them, that he, Haman, was a Jew. He said to Haman, do you have a bris milah? He's like, no. <laughs> like, no, seriously, Mordechai says you have a bris milah. Do, are, you, are you Jewish? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's why he got incensed. That's why he was so angry. Because he realized that he was telling everybody that Haman himself was Jewish. I have no doubt that that's 100% the real shot when it comes to this. I have no doubt that most of our enemies were Jewish in some way. Like Hitler and Hashemot, there's for sure there was some Jewishness in him. Who else could do such a thing? It's only us. That, that, that's Dalid Yudalid. Dalid Yudalid. It's a, it's a crazy line, right? But that's 100% the idea, the concept of what Haman was. Haman had a Jewish neshama. Something happened to him right there at that point. There's 100%. There's nothing like it when it comes to this. Parak Dalid, Pasuk Yudalid, we'll end with this. This is, uh, this is something that's going to be very, 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 very strong. Says Mordechai to Esther. Mordechai and Esther are arguing about whether or not you should go from one place to the other. Should we go into Achashverosh or not? And Esther says, like, look, look, I haven't been called in 30 days. I can't go up to the king. If I go up to the king, he's going to kill me. And said Mordechai, don't assume that you're going to be able to escape all the Jews and everything by getting inside, getting inside the palace. If you're sitting inside the palace, everything's going to be okay. Do not assume that everything's going to be okay through that. Because if you're silent at this time, if you don't say anything, there will be a salvation. There will be revach. Something good will happen from another place. The Jews will survive and it will happen from somewhere else. And you and your father's house will die. You'll be completely wiped out. Nothing will be left. He said. And who knows? If it's at this time, this is the reason why you eventually became queen. Maybe this is it. What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Did they have any doubts why Esther became queen once this came about? There was any question here? Was there a suffolk? I don't understand. Esther is green, 74 years old, the wife of the Gadolador, the only person who was married that was chosen to be able to go to Akashverosh. And she wins out over everyone else. And everyone, all these beautiful young girls are sitting there, and the 74-year-old green wife of the Gadolador is chosen. And they're sitting there, and like something comes up, and all of a sudden she's queen. And then during that time period, all of a sudden, for the first time ever, there was an actual situation where all of the Jews could be destroyed, where every single Jew could possibly be killed. And you're wondering if maybe this is it? Can you imagine? Mordecai's like, oh my, epiphany. I think I got it. I think I got it. And even then, when Mordecai says it, Mordecai looks and says, I don't know. It might be. It could be. Who knows? I know. I'll tell you a hundred percent that's why. What was she thinking? What was Esther thinking? Why wouldn't she immediately say, you're right. That's why I'm queen. This is the reason why I'm here. I'm going to do it right now. So what's Pshat? So I heard this from my Rebbe, Rebbe Levin. It's possibly the greatest Pshat I've ever heard in my life. It's a brilliant Pshat. And the answer is like this. Esther had a plan. There was a plan. When Esther was chosen, Mordecai and Esther immediately talked over with themselves and they said, what are we doing? What in the world? How did this just happen? 
And Mordechai figured it out. He's like, okay, I got it. Nebuchadnezzar, at the age, when he was 19 years into his kingdom, had destroyed the base of Mikdash. He ruled for 45 years. 45 minus 19 is altogether, anybody? You can do it. 26. 26 years altogether. Then you add on, altogether, 23 years of Evel Merodach. 26 plus 23? 49, right? 49 years. Okay, we got this. Then comes Belshazzar. Three years altogether? 50, 52. Kores is king for five years. It's 57. And then Achashverosh has been king for a bunch of years. It's 57 years. He's going to be king for a while. We're going to get to year 70. This was in year 66 from when the base of Mikdash had been destroyed. And they all knew, every single person knew the, the Nebu of Yermia. Yermia had prophesied that 70 years, seven zero years, 70 years after the base of Mikdash was destroyed, they're going to build the second base of Mikdash. And Mordecai looked at Esther and said, oh my gosh, if you're the queen and you're in the kingdom, you're going to build the second base of Mikdash. You're going to be it. You're going to be the reason why the second base of Mikdash is built. What you're going to do is you're going to either convince Achashverosh or you're going to have a child who will be the next king and that child will build the second base of Mikdash. So he looked over at Esther and said, you have a job. Your job is to put inside his head. You're going to build the second base of Mikdash. You're going to build the second base of Mikdash. That's your job and you're going to do it. It's going to work out and everything's going to be awesome and it's up to you. So when all of a sudden this happened with Haman, Esther looks at it and is like, whatever. Somebody else will save the Jews when it comes to this. I've got my job. I've got to build the second base of Mikdash. I can't do this. I can't try to save the Jews. What if I'm killed? What if he kills me? What if I'm not the right person? If he kills me, who's going to build the second base of Mikdash? Who's going to talk to Daryavish II? Who's going to be the person in charge trying to make sure that all the money goes to the second base of Mikdash? That's what she said. To which Mordecai said, I don't know. Maybe the real reason why you're queen is for this. I don't know. This is not just stam an argument. This is an argument between two Gidole Hador, a Navi and a Navia. The Navia poskins that she is there in order to build the second base of Mikdash. And the Navi is poskining. No, you're not. You're there because you're trying to save the Jews. It's one of those two. And Mordecai convinces Esther, this is it. And that's why I said, I, I'm besuffic. Mi odea. Who knows? Maybe it's not for the second base of Mikdash. Maybe it's for this. I don't know. I think this might be it. And they were both wrong. I didn't mean it in a bad way. They were both wrong, though. It was both. They were meant to save the Jews, which would be the catalyst for Daryavish II to eventually build the second base of Mikdash. Because Mordechai became the chief advisor to the Jews, he was Ratzelorovachov. Sanhedrin was angry at him. Sanhedrin did not want him becoming the chief advisor, the grand vizier of King Achashverosh. But because he did that, he was in the kingdom for long enough to allow Nehemiah to take over for him after Mordechai went to Eretz Yisrael. Nehemiah convinced Daryavish II to build the second base of Mikdash. And it was all based on this idea. It was all based on this idea said, there's two things we got to do here. Two things. We're going to build the base of Mikdash and we're going to save the Jews. Both of them have to be accomplished. And that's the shot behind what had happened right afterward. We lose track of Mordechai. And the truth is, there's so many other gedolim at the time. Hanani, Mishol, Azariah, Chagah, Zechariah, Malachi, Yechezkel could have been still alive. Yermia, Baruch, Benaria, Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubavel. All these people are alive at the time. They're just not in Shushan. Mordechai was one of the people who was there. He was the one who was able to help the Jews and 
and save them and bring them out and build the second base of Mikdash together with Esther. And that's the Pshatian movie was going on. They really had absolutely no idea what was happening, but this, this concept was there. And to end off, that's the difference between a grogger and a dreidel. Some of you might have heard this from me before, but it's an obvious idea. A dreidel spins from the top and you go like that. A grogger, you pull from the bottom and you move it around. So it's an obvious difference, right? The difference is on Purim, we did it. We fasted. We worked on ourselves. And we changed what God wanted. We literally changed everything in Shemaim because we got involved and we did everything ourselves. So we hold it from the bottom and we make a sibuv. We make everything go around up on top. On Hanukkah, there was nothing we could do. We just basically went out there and God fought our fights. HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought down angels and everything happened, where everything happened from above. So we reached down on top as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu does everything and we turned it around that way. That's why if you see a person holding a grogger the opposite way or a dreidel and spinning it from the bottom, you should punch him in the face. It's the exact opposite. You're totally missing the point of what the dreidel and the grogger are all about. You're supposed to do it the opposite way. That's the whole point. That's the concept of what we're dealing with. Have a great Purim. Freilich and Purim, everybody. Have a great night.